welcome back uh, to join your two favorite co-hosts. Uh, this is Perspectives with Lissette. See, I told you I was gonna I was gonna do you first because it's usually <laughs> I say me. Your name comes first, or your letter comes first in the alphabet, so it just makes sense, you know. Um, and I am. Uh, I forgot my name. I am uh, Martina. Yes. And so uh, it's been a long day as all three of us was just chatting about. <laughs> but welcome to our lovely uh, podcast, our video, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify or iTunes. Welcome. Uh, welcome to people who are new and welcome back for people that uh, usually tune in and join us. Um, but today we are um, continuing our series of speaking with nonprofit leaders. Um, really, we've had some really good guests and we're continuing with that today. And we will turn it over to her in just a bit. But I'll kick it over to Lisette to say anything she'd like to say. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Martina. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited for today's conversation. Uh, our guest today uh, has uh, a strong background on housing. Uh, so I'm excited to dig in a little bit on housing, but she's also uh, uh, a leader in, in nonprofit, and I'm excited to just kind of have her join in, uh, be part of this conversation, be part of our little kind of community here. Um, but yeah, I think today's going to be a really good uh, conversation. This will be part one of two. Um, coincidentally, her name is Lisette. Uh, but she ends with the T and I end with the TH. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Uh, but um, yeah, I think, you know, I'm going to turn it over to you, Lisette. Give you a chance to just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, about, you know, where you're from. Are you from Chicago? You know, did you grow up here? Tell us a little bit about that and just a little bit of your journey kind of, you know, growing up. But also, how did you end up in this industry that, you know, we're kind of discussing today, nonprofit? Wonderful. Thank you both so much for having me on. I'm really honored. Um, so like was said, my name is Lisette. I am Chicago born and raised. Um, I've made it through several neighborhoods. Um, when I was born, I was born uh, to parents that were living in Lincoln Park. This was in the 1980s um, when Lincoln Park was more affordable. Um, and then the affordability sort of like ran out. And so when my homemaker mother and my dad who worked in banquets and hotels looked around and they were like, oh, okay. So we wanna buy a house, we can't do it here. Um, and so they ended up buying a house in what was then very scary Logan Square. Um, not quite like that anymore. Nope. Um, it is it is popping these days. Um, and I'm definitely that cranky old person that's like, where did all these people come from? Um, but yeah, and so I got involved with like neighborhood organizations. I was really fortunate to have incredible mentors and people that really saw like a lot of potential in me um, and were like, yes, you should do these things. You should get involved. Um, they're the ones who deeply, I think, instilled like caring. You know, every once in a while I look around and I'm like, I wish I was a person who just didn't care sometimes because I'm tired, yeah. but like I care. And a lot of it has to do with like the, the folks that really um, raised me up, you know, maybe not in the most strictest parental sense, but certainly who raised me up in organizing, who raised me up in community, 
um, and who raised me up in leadership. Um, and those were the same people who like heard my story and heard my family's story and were like, oh yeah, that's gentrification. And I was like, cool, no idea what that is. Um, and spent like in the next few years really um, learning both the technical definition of gentrification and then like living it and experiencing it firsthand. Um, obviously, again, when my family moved from Lincoln Park to Logan Square, that was gentrification. And then we watched the neighborhood change drastically around us as it continues to do today. Like just this weekend, there were there was um, a article in the Chicago Tribune talking about gentrification in Logan Square, um, and it continues to be a really hot topic. Um, so. I ended up doing housing work because it was my story and it was the thing that like people were like well you you know this firsthand and I don't know how but like 20 years later here I am and it's like okay I've now done housing work my entire life I've done direct service work I've done it in leadership and raising money I've done it in, um, in some organizing I've done it in like leading organizations I've I've I understand and have been really fortunate to learn housing from all perspectives. Um, and it is, it's a rough world out here some days, mostly because it shouldn't be this hard. Housing should be like a human right and it should be something that everyone just has. And you look around at all of the ways in which we have to fight at every level and you're like, all right, this, this shouldn't be this hard, but it is. And so, you know, some days are long. Yes. Uh, something that resonated with when you said, I wish I was someone that didn't care. <laughs> like, there are so many moments that I know I probably mentioned this to Martina as well. Like, I just wish I didn't care. I wish I could just, you know, go on my day, do what I gotta do, and just you know, come home and not care about anything. And it's like, because it's exhausting to your point. Like, it's very tiring because, uh, especially with nonprofit, you bring that home. Mm -hmm. all the time like that is I do <laughs> yeah I mean not everybody in nonprofit does but if you're in it for the right reasons and you're there and you care mm -hmm. like you bring it home like you you know I live in I live in the communities that you know mm -hmm. a lot of organizations serve and mm -hmm. it's like it's exhausting to see how little things have improved but mm -hmm. how much work I know is going on mm -hmm. like, but you don't see the impact like you don't really see it and it's like years of work and you know mm -hmm. one good thing happens but there's like a hundred other things that still need to be fixed so I that yeah. so resonated with me that whole idea of like uh, I wish I could just turn look away no, turn away yeah this has been a, a common conversation among friends where it's like who who did this to us who implanted this like seed of community and was like yes like we care about others and we fight for justice and we do the right thing it's like who who did that to me because why it is, it is a rough life out here you know and and even at the moment where it's like i'm gonna run away and like live in like the middle of nowhere it's like i'll just bring this with me because it's inside of me like i don't i don't know how to turn it away but I do. I like go on social media and I'm like, cool. How do you do that? How do you just live this life without being like, oh my God, what about my neighbor? And what about this unfair thing that's happening? Um, so I don't, I don't, I think it's too late for me. I think I'm, I'm never going to learn that. I think I'm always going to bring these things home. So, <laughs> well, what, you know, I, I heard you talk about um, gentrification from two different angles. Actually, you were talking about um, when your parents left 
Lincoln Park and went mm -hmm. to Logan Square, they were gentrifying coming mm -hmm. to that area. And I think, you know, uh, I would love for you to explain or tell your definition of, of gentrification because by, by working in, in the nonprofit industry, I'm currently not, but most of my career I have been a nonprofit. And one thing I learned kind of early on is that I can be a gentrifier. I am a gentrifier. Like, well, hey, I'm not, I'm not even from Chicago. <laughs> okay, so I moved here from the South. And when I came here for graduate school, I, I lived on campus for a year, but that's where I, I moved Logan Square Avondale. And so that's mm -hmm. currently where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. And um, I started working and all that and working in, in nonprofit and learned that I can also be a gentrifier because I wasn't necessarily seeing myself as like, oh, I'm actually, I can be a part of the problem. Not to say that you and your parents were mm -hmm. part of the problem, mm -hmm. but I think some people feel that gentrifiers may not look like us. Mm -hmm. They may be the others, but we mm -hmm. can come into a neighborhood and be gentrifiers as well. So I just yeah. found that really interesting that you said that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and uh, I know, particularly thinking through like the Latinx community, there's been a lot of really great like TV shows that have like tackled that, you know, like Vida on Stars, um, a couple other shows that I know, like um, I've like watched some episodes here and there, but that really tackle that whole idea of like, um, gentrification in our communities happening by people that look like us who come from the same place as we do, but are maybe at a different socioeconomic status at some point, you know, but I think like the very basic definition for me of gentrification really starts at where my parents started, which is that they looked around and they were like, okay, we've been living in this neighborhood for a bunch of years. So we'd like to stay here. Our kids are going to school here. We walked to church from here, you know, and then looked around and we're like, oh yeah, I can't do that because all of the houses that have been built and all the rehabs that have been done and everything that's been torn down and rebuilt is all way out of our price range, you know, and my dad like made decent money for someone who was like supporting a family in like the 80s and 90s like it wasn't like bad money it was just still like okay but this is still not meant for us you know like my dad was union at the hotels again like earned decent money um but you needed way more than that um in order for um for qualifying for a mortgage in that area and so um in housing, we often talk about the drive till you qualify phenomenon, right? And so like you like drive out until you until you qualify, usually from wherever you're at, you're driving, depending on where you're at in the city of Chicago, in the area, you're certainly driving south or west, you know, till you qualify for something. And so um, that's, that's essentially what they did, you know, and um, we we were fortunate in that we found a home that was everything that both my parents wanted, right? My dad um, being the like sole breadwinner in the house was like, I need to have like rental income. Um, I need to have like something else that we can rely on if, if something goes wrong, you know? Um, and my mom like was like, I've got three children who are all on top of each other in this like tiny two bedroom rear apartment that we were living in. Um, I need them to have some space. Um, and so we, we found that. And it was great. Um, but yes, being a landlord also puts you in a different position um, often than, you know, when you are a renter and like that is, you know, in and of itself, like some part of gentrification, I think. Um, but what we watched too was that like the, like we came in and we're like, okay, like there's people around here that look like us 
and then they'll send the same people that got pushed out because, for example, in places like Logan Square, there's such a high amount of rental stock. And so, you know, when you um, your house is foreclosed on or when you decide to sell your house, it's not just you as the landlord, it's like the people that you were renting to as well. Um, and in the case of Logan Square, it has not been um, uh, the term that is sometimes used in Latino Latinx communities is gentification, um, like play on gente and gentrification. Um, and um, there has not been gentification around here. This has definitely been gentrification. Um, there's a professor, I think he's teaching at DePaul University now, but I saw a presentation by him many years ago. And uh, the thing that he said in his like gentrification studies that he came across is that um, like when he would talk about what gentrification is, people would be like, oh, when the white people come. Mm -hmm. Yes, for many of us, yes. Yeah. And I think that, again, I think there's different phenomena that we see now, but at the core of it, it is still, it is still racial because race is tied to economics. And, you know, that's a whole other conversation about, you know, race and economics and socioeconomic status for white folks versus for people of color. Um, so yeah, it can be, it can be different, but certainly our experience was that of like, okay, White folks have moved into Lincoln Park and they bring with them a different socioeconomic status. Um, the other thing that I just remember like happening over the years was it's not just housing, it's the makeup and the other things that are happening in the neighborhood. You know, so I, I think within a couple of years of us moving out of Logan Square, I'm sorry, out of Lincoln Park, and into Logan Square, I remember my godmother getting married at one of the local churches in Lincoln Park still, because that's where we had been going before. And by the time she did that, I don't think that that church had a Spanish mass anymore, because there just wasn't much of a population left. And so they didn't need a Spanish mass. And so they literally didn't have it. And, you know, when we think of like the little corner store is where we went and my mom spoke to folks in Spanish, those also started to disappear. And so there's a part of, of it where you like look around and it's like, I mean, you could fight to stay here, but all the things you know and that are familiar to you are also gone. So like, how do you, you know, how do you make the things that you need to make for, um, you know, the sauce for dinner or whatever, if like the local grocery store doesn't carry those ingredients anymore? Um, and so that's all still, that is also very much part of, of gentrification. And that's what we've seen in Logan Square as well. You know, where there used to be fruterias, like there no longer are. And like, you have to go further and further to like get all the ingredients for like your dinner because what is here locally isn't exactly carrying all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think all of that is is part of gentrification. Jump in, what's that? <laughs> oh, I think, uh... Thank you for sharing sort of uh, some pictures of what gentrification looks like. Because uh, a, lo a lot of the times, at least for me, I always think about it. Yeah, it's white people coming in. Like that's sort of what I think it's always been. And a lot of the times it is still that. Um, but when I when you said gentrification, right? Like I, I remember I heard it once before and it was some video or documentary that I probably was watching uh, around it. And I think uh, there's so much, I feel there's so much responsibility as a Latina 
you know, being in a, whether you think just, you know, socioeconomically better off than maybe others, mm -hmm. if I do plan on going into uh, a neighborhood like, you know, a Logan Square, like a Little Village, like a Pilsen, you know, what responsibility do I have mm -hmm. as a Latina to ensure that the people that have been there can continue to be there if they choose to want to be there, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and to allow that. And I think that's such a, a part of the conversation that's missing mm -hmm. when you're talking about gentrification of like, okay, how do we as you know people of color coming into any neighborhood, whether it's predominantly Black, whether it's predominantly Latino, Asian, like, you know, if you're coming into these neighborhoods, how do you do it, do it in a way that doesn't displace people? Mm -hmm. you know um you're fortunate enough to be better off maybe and you're fortunate to be able to afford these you know higher you know rents and things like that but how do you do it and how do you advocate for there to be affordable housing how do you do that and I think that's it's hard because you're like some people are like are the people that don't really care and they're like hey I can afford it I worked hard and all these things and nobody's negating that you worked hard to get to where you're at mm -hmm. uh but <laughs> the people that are there have also worked hard to continue to live there and continue to work hard to afford and live there and and, and have that and to your point of like do you continue fighting when all of the things you've known uh of that major community your community are no longer there or disappearing do you fight mm -hmm. for it or do you or do you just say off to the next neighborhood and hope for the best over there yeah. um because it, it is it is kind of sad when you see the landscape i think for me always comes to mind pilsen you know because that's mm -hmm. sort of yeah. uh you know one of the things where, where i've seen a huge difference mm -hmm. you know just in the last, you know, you think just in the last even five years, you know, you don't have to go back, but just if you think in the last 15 years, it feels like things have changed and things like Logan Square and things like that. And it's like, there's a lot of conversations to yet to be had. Um, but when you think about kind of coming into neighborhoods or people wanting to say, hey, we want to beautify the community, we want to make it better, like, is there a way to do it without seeing sort of the net of negative effects, right? Do Is there a way to kind of come in and say, yes, we're going to make these this community, you know, and we're, you know, we're going to come out to, you know, West Lawn out here on the Southwest side, mm -hmm. and we're going to bring in, you know, some small businesses, some coffee shops, we're going to do all these things, we're going to, you know, have bike lanes, and we're going to do all these things that, you know, other neighborhoods have um but to do it in a way that doesn't raise the property taxes it doesn't raise somebody's rent you know the cost of rent that doesn't displace is there a way are there ways to do something to kind of better our communities without kind of having to go into the negative side of or not the negative side, but just gentrifying a place and losing its essence and its culture and sort of community yeah, I feel like we started having a lot of these conversations a lot because there are a ton of people who don't care, who are the like, I'm, I'm good, whatever. And then there's definitely people that like moved into Logan Square and looked around and were like, oh, okay, I might be part of the problem. How do I offset this? How do, what do I have to do to do this, right? And part of what I think many of us have always said is you got to follow the lead of the community that's been here 
right? Like it's not that we won't welcome someone else who wants to come in, but you have to understand what that impact is. And you have to be willing to put in work to like offset that impact. You know, is it getting involved in the local community um, organization? Is it um, using your privilege to like raise the voices of those who have been shouting and aren't being heard? You know, like there is a lot of work to be done and community has the answers. Community knows what they need. Like that park that's been all messed up and the swings that are broken, they know that. They've tried. They've like made calls and like some people aren't listening. And so how do you add your voice and whatever privilege you have to like back what the community's already been trying to do? I think part of the mistake that people make when they come into a community, I've heard, I've heard this term, which is very appropriate for this work, right? It's the Columbusing of a community, right? Where you like come in and you're like, this did not exist before me. And it's like, no, no, it existed before you. There were people working here. There were people doing things. There were people living here. And there were people that were working to, you know, um, like transform the community into the community that they want it to be. Like you have to acknowledge that. You have to acknowledge that there's a whole thing here. And then you have to figure out where the best place is for you to keep working with that community. But it has to be something where the folks who have been there, who um, who have tried, are really the ones who are taking the lead on that, you know? And it's like, if you want a small business, it's like, great. Have you talked to the community about what kind of small business that they they need mm-hmm. or are you just gonna like come in and be like oh you know what this community doesn't have it should be this and like let's do it let's go for it you know like does it matter whether or not the community wants it um and it also you know it has to be about like what where the community is at in terms of like its own status right like what are the things that you are doing that you're bringing to the community that may be unaffordable for them and it's like again when you start talking about bringing business or bringing products or bringing whatever into the community it's like well who is it for because if it is meant for the people of this community then number one they would have told you that this is a thing that they need and number two you make sure that it is affordable and it is something that works for them And I think often what we see at the moment where it feels like the height of gentrification, it's like a store that's selling something. You're like, the heck are they even selling? And like, who would pay that much money for that thing that they're selling, right? Because you sit there and you're like, I don't, what? I don't understand. And I think that like, those are the moments that are, that are the height of gentrification. And I think each community is different. The one thing about Chicago and housing is that I, I don't think that there is one solution to like all the housing problems across the board because every community is really different. Every community has been impacted by this investment and then by gentrification um, or by both or by one or the other, um, you know, in in any number of ways that are really different. But that's why I think the importance of community and like community leaders being the ones that are at the forefront of like, this is the fight that we're trying to have here. And if you really want to help, you're going to join us here. But like, don't be out here pretending that like we didn't exist before you. Um, because that that is like the height of erasure. And that is, um, you know, the the thing that, it's when you start seeing those things that you really see like, the um the erasing of of community um into one of the things you said earlier too in terms of like and this is again I think of community in this way right is that even in those moments where you're like I don't know why I'm fighting to like be here it's usually community that's like well like there's some of us that are still here and some of us are all still like fighting and some of us are still hanging on 
Um, and, you know, there's some stuff that can be familiar. And there's also some stuff that like, you know, the new amenities that do come in that you're like, oh, no, that's great. You know, my mom, my mom's the love of my mother's life is Target, you know, and <laughs> they built like a little like what a are Target. <laughs> And my mom's like delighted. It's like two blocks from her. And you know what? I don't know if that she's not the demographic they meant it for, but that's fine. She enjoys it, you know? Um, but in general, like I think of my mom, you know, and my mom's been in that house now for like almost 30 years. And she walks to church and she walks to the bank and she walks to 7-Eleven and, you know, she like walks around the neighborhood and she knows it. And at this point, like if we were to like sell the house, it's like, well, we definitely couldn't afford to buy in Logan Square, even if you're selling in Logan Square. Um, and, you know, like her and like, you know, some of like the little old Latina ladies who have like also held on, like they know each other and like they walk together and like they'll go have their coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. And it's like, okay, you know, like, that sense of community like that you're still hanging on to is often the thing that makes it like it's like okay a lot of this might be unrecognizable and again my mom is going to walk past the six other coffee shops in logan square that are all selling coffee at like some price that she thinks it's outrageous um and she can walk to dunkin donuts with her little friends and you know it'll be great and that's that's why she hangs on you know and i think I, I, and maybe this is because it's what I was raised in, right? But it's all about community, you know? It's about the people. It's about, like, letting the people lead. Um, and I think that that's always going to be the answer, right? It's going to be the answer to why you stay. It's going to be the answer to how you fight. It's going to be the answer to who has the answers. It's always going to be about community. Yeah, I, I love that. I love you ended with, you know, it's always going to be the community because I think um, in the line of work that I do, um it, it is the community voice it is the community that like you said has the answers and even if they don't have the answers they they know what they know what they want they know what they want to do they know that there's there's a way to get to where they want to be mm -hmm. um and they just need you know maybe just some guidance or just some resources to just get there and things like that and i think that's uh the whole point right and i think that's such a key thing to really kind of hone in on of the reason why you continue fighting, whether it's, you know, against gentrification, whether it's, um, you know, racial tensions, you know, all these different things. It's like it's community because um, if you are from Chicago, you know, communities are, are huge here. Like that's mm -hmm. what it is. Like people have a lot of pride from the communities that they're from mm -hmm. uh, and what it means and, and and all of that so I think it's very um I'm glad you kind of ended on that note at least for that part like where it's like just kind of really listening to the community but Martina I'll let you uh <laughs> ask or share I have well just have a, a few questions and really um so we know now you know you're this you're this great nonprofit housing leader um but you know how was it when you first got into the sector and i believe you said housing is something that you've always knew that you wanted to to work in but mm -hmm. compared to things now and when you first started have you seen positive changes have there been some negative changes i'm sure have things kind of stayed the same how has that been for you because you mentioned that you've been in this for 20 years 
Yeah. So I actually have, it's funny, it was my favorite thought that comes to mind is this. So when one of the very first the big campaigns that I worked on in Logan Square, like I was like a community leader and we were trying to get, I think it's 63 units of affordable housing built. Um, and listening to some of the neighbors who were anti this proposal, who were anti affordable housing, like testify in front of like city council committees and other things was some of the most depressing things I've ever done in my life. Mm -hmm. Like some of those people were very angry and kind of vile, you know, like really just awful folks um, saying things that you're just like, do you hear yourself? Like, do you hear this thing you are saying about another human being? And, you know, um, it was, it was terrible. Um, and the most recent really big victory, and so this was maybe, it's been more than 10 years now, I think. Um, and the most recent really big victory um, in Logan Square is like 100 new units of affordable housing right off of the Logan Square Blue Line. And the big community meeting for that, it's probably, I think they said it was like 500 people. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of people were in favor of the project. Many of them were local residents who like looked around and were like, uh-oh. I'm a gentrifier how do I like offset some of this and who like sat there and we're like no like we're gonna like we're with you like we're gonna fight for this affordable housing development um and it was it was just like night and day like I had walked into that meeting like very much like I'm ready to do battle and like everyone was like overwhelmingly like for the project and understood it and it was just like okay we've done some work, like, and, you know, in so many ways, again, Logan Square is unrecognizable today than it was 20 years ago. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, and I think you alluded to this earlier, Lisette, but like, it's this moment, and I have this moment all the time, I don't know if you all do, where like, I look in the mirror, and I'm like, yeah, I don't look that different than I used to, and then like, I look, find like a picture of myself from like 20 years ago, and you're like, oh, no, yeah, yeah. that's a different person. Um, and that's how gentrification for lice for me has felt like in Logan Square, where it's like day to day, I'm like, is it that different? And then I think, oh, no, yeah, this was drastically different 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we do these like bigger things almost, right? Where it's like, it's, it's taken a couple of decades to get to the point where like Logan Square is a place where you know that you're going to find people who are going to support affordable housing. Um, and that's taken a lot of work. Um, and that's not true everywhere in the city, but even at the city level, there's been a lot of work um, to really keep in mind sort of like racial equity and like, like to talk about like the big structural problems. Um, there are still tons of problems still tons of problems in terms of the way we finance affordable housing, in terms of who can afford affordable housing, because affordable housing isn't always affordable. That's the big, it's the big secret of affordable housing. Um, there's been, there has to be more work still on, um, you know, like um, the, one of the other big victories that we won like 20 years ago was the status, like it, it's known by a lot of things. It's the affordable requirements ordinance, which was like, if you need a zoning change, 10% of your units have to be uh, affordable. Mm -hmm. And then that came back to be highly ineffective in a bunch of different ways. Cause then it turned out that people were like, 
okay, sure. But then you're building studios. And it's like, all right, well, that's not meant for like a family of six. Um, and then it's like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, I'll do 10%, you know, but like that's, you know, six units out of like 60 and you're like, oh, okay. This didn't go quite the way that we had hoped. Um, and there's been a lot of more work that has been done to like improve upon that. Um, and I think that we, we still have a long way to go. I think that um, affordable housing is in desperate need of like thinking outside the box. Um, you know, the biggest way in which we build affordable housing in this country is through the low income housing tax credits. That's based on the IRS tax code. The biggest way in which we build affordable housing in this country is based on the IRS tax code. Like, what are we doing? How can that possibly be the case? Um, and so I think that there's lots and lots of things that we, we still need to do to like make it clear that um, this is necessary. And I think part of what has begun to happen more recently that I've seen a lot more evidence of is that once upon a time, it was like, we need affordable housing for all those poor people that can't afford regular housing. And now we're like, no, no, we need affordable housing for everyone because the cost of housing around here is wild. Like, unless you are making excellent money, almost never in the nonprofit world, um, you know, like you can't afford to like buy or rent in the city of Chicago. Um, and so now it's like very much, and I think this is, this is part of that change, right? Where it's like, people are like, okay, it's actually a matter for all of us. It's not just about like those people over there and like, I'm doing a good thing and like being charitable and saying like, yes, yeah, of course, affordable housing. It's not much more like, no, no, we're all in the same boat here. We're like, you know, how can we all afford our rent and how can we all afford the property taxes and how can we all do all of these things? And I think that that has also been a very helpful shift in the last, that I've seen probably in the last 20 years. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, for me, I look at housing as just being an essential right that somebody has along with water, food, education. And, you know, we live in a very capitalist society that mm -hmm. if they can monetize it, they will monetize anything they think that they can. And um, it's interesting you talking about uh, the kind of people now that needs affordable housing. Because I was talking to a coworker of mine who, who who also has a background in housing. And to her, you know, I, I, I talked to her for like over like an hour and a half. And I was just, I was so worked up chatting with her about it. And I was like, I just don't get it. Like, why is this such a big issue to make sure that people have a stable, safe place to live, a home to live in? And we were talking and she mentioned, well, you know, to kind of, you know, in the beginning, it was black and brown folks. And it's like, well, we don't want to help them. Why would we want to help them? And now to hear you say that, oh, now it's, it's not just people based on race. Now that it's expanded to where we got people who may not necessarily look like us, because it is very expensive to live here, but it's also cheaper to live here than it is in New York and LA. I mean, most people, even if you're over six figures, you cannot afford to live in New York City or like LA. Mm -hmm. And so it's just very interesting here that we are experiencing some of those same issues, but it's taking other people who don't look like us mm -hmm. to come along for the ride. And now 
we're trying to find a situation for. And it seems to always be the case from whether it's education or the opioid crisis, you know, it's like these sort of things it takes to when, when it was affecting just black and brown or just people of color, we don't care. Yeah. Um, but now, oh, well, you know, we got, I don't know, Brad over here. I'm just making up a name. We got Brad over here who's, you know, doing really well. He's, you know, great, but he can't even afford a one bedroom, mm-hmm. you know, and we got Brad times a hundred. Mm-hmm. So now it's like, oh, well, we got to figure this out. We got to yeah. figure this out as a neighborhood or as a city. And like a part of me is happy that people who have been a part of that neighborhood who have, who, who have decades in that neighborhood may finally be getting the help that they need. But at the same time, why do why, why were they not getting help all along? You know, we had it had to be somebody that completely different coming into the neighborhood that you finally get that assistance mm-hmm. that you need. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, like I we've seen this like huge change in like the demographic in like the change of heart and the demographic of that change of heart, right, in Logan Square, right? Where again you've got you know, young white folks who have moved into the neighborhood who are like, hell yes, absolutely, affordable housing all day, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's not what was happening 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, you know, we were fighting tooth and nail for every achievement in affordable housing. And now it's, you know, it's not easy. You know, we see this all the time. You like read stories about like fights and some very ugly fights in some neighborhoods around housing. You know, but um, you still see a lot of, of of movement in the way that people feel differently because there's different folks living here. And you're like, okay. I mean, I appreciate you using privilege this way, I guess. Um, do I wish that, like, we could recognize, like, the dignity and humanity and need of housing for all of us without that? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's... It's the unfortunate, uh, it's the unfortunate reality of living in the world as it is, even while we're fighting for the world as it should be. Yeah, I think um, you both mentioning sort of, you know, how much race plays into um, all of this. I mean, in, in, in almost any issue, uh, problem, like, it's only, it only becomes an issue to be fixed when you know, I mean, unfortunately, when white people kind of get impacted, you know, and I think that that's just calling it what it is for, for those that live it. And I think that, and and we've seen it, um, not just in housing, you see it at, you know, pay, you know, as well, like, oh, now it's, oh, it's impact. We got, we got to look, people can't afford, they, they can't live off what we thought was something. And I think even when you look at uh, the fight for like minimum wage, because minimum wage still impacts more people of color than anything like mm-hmm. that that isn't really like yeah let's raise it let's do something about it because it isn't seen as what people in this country would deem the majority mm-hmm. um a problem for the majority it's more problem for the minority is sort of what it is and i think even housing um for the longest time was seen like well you know that's that's a, a a you problem that's a other people problem that's you know we'll let whatever you know kind of thing and it isn't until more recently uh particularly i think the when the pandemic hit and people started kind of losing things and sort of like oh no and it's 
and now it's seen like, oh, it, it is an issue. It is something that maybe we should start paying attention to, something mm -hmm. that maybe we should do some task forces around. We should start kind of doing more research into it. And it's like, it's always been an issue. Like it has, it's, it's always been there. Like it's not something new, but, you know, I think that's, um, it's unfortunate, as you mentioned, Liz, that like, you know, when you're trying to, work within how the world is into what it should be mm -hmm. it, it's such a, a struggle right because mm -hmm. it's like every time like you, you've made you know you've moved up five steps then you're always 10 steps behind because mm -hmm. there's always something else uh coming behind and i think it's um it's important to have these conversations to bring them to light and it's you know and it is important to have those allies who say like yes we, we will be there we'll stand with you we'll use our privilege um however we can but it's unfortunate that we have to rely on that yeah you know yeah and i think part of this is because housing is just such a quintessential part of the american dream um that we're all sold you know like we we are we're all supposed to believe in the great big quintessential american dream and i think you know and i'm sure there's some research that's been done on this and someone who could speak better to this than i could but i think a lot of what has also happened that has um opened this up to be more than just black and brown folks talking about this has been millennials um, who have, um, you know, we've all seen statistics, like we're not, like millennials aren't advancing at the same rates, they can't buy houses at the same rates, you know, like can't do anything, right? Like we uh, graduated college and like went into like the great recession. There's apparently another recession coming, you know, like generationally, we're not at any of the places that we have like traditionally um, been at in terms of like generations prior to us. And I think that's the other thing that has happened, right? And so now you've got like, you know, jokes about avocado toast out here, like, but it's like, it's, you know, we all know that that's not the answer and it's because now it's not just people of color because people of color are always relegated, right? It's a whole generation out here that we're like, uh, we have been monumentally screwed by everything in this country, by the debt, by, um, by jobs, by the stagnation of any number of things. And you're just like, okay, cool. And I think, you know, millennials not being able to achieve that quintessential American dream has like been really kind of like, you know, earth shaking for some people or it's like, what do you mean? It's like, yeah, no, you're like in your thirties and can't afford a house. Cause you know, we all went to college when you told us to go to college and now we're all, you know, thousands of dollars in debt and whatever debt relief there is, isn't actually going to be it's not enough. helpful. So I think that that's, that's the other thing that I, that I think is, has been, um, has brought housing out of just a like black and brown issue into like the mainstream which again even that the idea that if it's a black and brown issue it's not in the mainstream is it's it's its own form of problems and racism you it's, it's such a good point you bring up because the boomers and those they're just fascinated they were like well you know and it's <laughs> It's funny you also see articles like, well, if you stop ordering out all the time, maybe you could afford a house. Well, well, Steve, it doesn't work like that. 
uh maybe you might save a little coin but not enough for a house uh and but it is it is really you are so right and hit the nail on the head it has really been disturbing for older generations to be like you're 35 40 almost 40 and why don't you have a house you can't afford a house like by the time i was your age 30 I was married with three kids and had a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And you know, some mm -hmm. of that, well, things, you know, the, the ideas have started to change as yeah. well with like millennials and Gen Zs of what family mm -hmm. is and all of that. Yeah. But it is also, you know, you do see more of us and the younger generation, we're not so much having even, even having kids mm -hmm. because there's no safety nets to have kids, like have a child and bring it into this world. Yeah. It is very expensive to have children. I, I do not have children, but I have friends that do. It is expensive. On top of that, paying for a child, you got to pay a mortgage or mm -hmm. a, a car note. It's, it's just so many different things that I feel like we're just not necessarily afforded because we just, there's no money. And, you know, I think all of us, uh, and, and well, I'll speak for me, um, college was always my way out. Like I grew up in a small town in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. uh, shout out to Mississippi. They're a little crazy, they're a little crazy, a little wild, but that's what, it'll, it'll always be home state. Um, but I spent most of my time, like I studied, education was super important mm -hmm. to me. And and my parents never had to tell me like do good or do good grades. I had a I had a great grade point average, and education was always my way out. Mm -hmm. And I think for a number of kids of color, mm -hmm. it can be the same thing, or like playing or playing sports or playing um, playing an instrument, any of that. I think a lot of kids may see that as being their way out, and I was one of those. But it's like I get to college, and you really think you like you go to college, you graduate, it's gonna be so different. It's not. It's, it's, you just, I mean, you just got a degree and nowadays even having a bachelor degree is not all it's been cracked up to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, now help a master's, you know? So it's just like things have changed so much. And I think a lot of us who were like made these false promises or these empty promises, we just haven't seen it come to fruition. And, you know, we're just trying to deal with it the best we know how. Mm -hmm. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think um, that has, I, I, I believe that we don't sell like the American dream harder to anyone than we do to like people of color. You know, like we're out here and we sell the American dream hard and we're like, yes, you got to go to college. This is your way out. This is how you're going to do things. And, you know, it, we go and we do all these things and you're like, yeah, nope, still in the hole. Like yeah. this did not change anything because the thing that doesn't change is race and racism, because you look at what, you know, the average person of color that graduated from college earns compared to like a white person who graduated from college, like there's discrepancies, there's discrepancies for gender, God, like, you know, once you get to all the intersections, you know, some of us are like, you know, getting hit from all sides, we get hit by gender, we get hit by race, we get hit by socioeconomics, like everything, you're like, okay, well, stuck at the middle of this intersection, unable to afford housing. Mm -hmm. you know, and this is, it's just kind of where you, where you end up, and it is, it is incredibly, incredibly um, unfortunate, and it, and it's hard, it, and, you know, like, I think many of us see it, you know, with, like, older relatives, right, where you're like, I, you got to understand how the world has evolved. Like, you got to understand, you got to work with me here about like what has changed so that I can't be, you know, 30 years old and have a house and two kids. Like the world has changed and, and it has changed in a lot of ways. And it honestly, in some ways it hasn't changed. 
right? Like the federal minimum wage hasn't gone up in I don't know how many years. And you're like, see, when the federal minimum wage doesn't go up from whatever it is, you know, 725, like this isn't, this, we're not going to get very far, you know? It's an insult. It's really an insult. <laughs> and so much of that too is because there's this feeling of like, again, because you're still thinking about the way the world was, you know, when you were young or when you were a certain age. And it's like, you know, minimum wage jobs aren't just for like the kid working after school. Like there are people who are having to raise families on minimum wage jobs. Like, yeah. so we gotta, we gotta make some adjustments here to like what we expect. Um, but in the city of Chicago, for sure, and I believe this is true for the state of Illinois, like you cannot afford an apartment anywhere on minimum wage. Mm -hmm. Like, like there, like the um, there's a an annual report that comes out called Out of Reach, and I believe that in their last report it was like there's nowhere where you can afford um a an apartment on minimum wage. Like just that's just like not a thing you can do. Um, and we have to stop thinking that it's just like teenagers working at Mickey D's after school. Like that is not what is happening. That is not where where people are. So yeah. Thank you, uh, Lisette, for everything that you have shared on this first part, because it all has been so relevant to just topics that Martina has shared on our podcast or just had conversations, but just to, you know, where we're at today, um, not just as a society, but just looking at our city of Chicago mm -hmm. um, and, and the different things that are happening here or not happening mm -hmm. um, as well. Uh, so we appreciate you kind of sharing that. And I think um, one of the things that you just said, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're fighting against, you know, racism, right? Like mm -hmm. if racism is there, that's mm -hmm. always going to be a barrier for um, forward movement, you know, mm -hmm. for improvements. Like that's the thing. Um, and that, that's such a huge um, thing to just continue pointing out. Like we have to tackle that because, that is one of the root causes of so many of the injustices, so many of the progress we could be making. It is racism that just stops it. That's point blank, zero, mm -hmm. that's it. Yeah. Um, but I think this is where we're going to kind of uh, conclude this first part. Uh, we'll definitely be coming back with Lisette for a second part. And I think that's where we're going to dig in more into the nonprofit world um you know and and really kind of continue the conversations of disparities and opportunities um and things like that but um if you haven't followed us uh, make sure to follow us so that you can get notified when part two uh comes out um and we will be back uh with Lisette uh and Martina and myself will be back to uh, talk to you and, and share more insights uh, around uh, being nonprofit. And we look forward to hear more about non uh, nonprofit leadership and what it has uh, been her experience for Lisette uh, in that realm. So thank you all. Thank you, Lisette, again. Um, and we'll be back. Thank you so much. <laughs>